0: Welcome to the World Football Index Confederations Cup Preview Podcast. Today we're going to take a look at the four teams in Group A of the 2017 Confederations Cup. Of course, just one year out now from the World Cup. This will be a dress rehearsal of sorts for Russia. Got a great panel on to preview those four squads today. Uh, We'll introduce them to you now. First up in Russia, we have Thomas Giles. Thomas, how are you doing? Uh, if you'd give a little introduction of yourself to the WFI audience. Very, very welcome on today.
1: Yes, thank you, Austin. Uh, yeah, like you said, I'm based in uh, St. Petersburg at the moment out here for the Confederations Cup. You're best finding me in terms of sort of content on the internet, if you like. You're best looking at Russian football news. I'm Basically, I'm the podcast host for them. So I you are taking my role, if you like, Austin.
0: Uh-oh, a little worried. I might be out of a job here <laughs> soon. No, you yeah. <laughs> Uh, you'll be fine. <laughs> Next up, we have a Mexican football expert based in an area I know well in Chicago, uh, and that is Raul Barraza. Yeah, that's good. That was correct. <laughs> I do my best. I do my best. Raul, how are you? You're very welcome.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on. am excited to talk about Confederations Cup. Ready for this busy, busy uh, summer of uh, football, because I don't know about you other guys, but in, in Cocker Calf, we have the Confederations Cup. We have World Cup qualifying, and we also have a Gold Cup tournament for no reason. So we have plenty of international soccer coming
0: up. Plenty of, plenty of Mexican players will be getting involved this summer, which I'm sure uh, Juan Carlos Osorio is, is more than pleased with, given his, his penchant for rotating his squads, huh? Oh, yeah. If, I think if you, amongst any Mexican soccer
2: fan, you say rotations or rotaciones, you it's like a dirty word now.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a story for you. And finally, uh, our Portugal expert, we have uh, Thiago Estevan. Tiago, you're very welcome. How are you doing today? Hey guys,
3: I'm very impressed because I think no English person ever spoke my name so well. I do. Like I do know name, a bit of Portuguese. You did very on the well. side. <laughs> you, did, you did very well. Thank I'm very you, uh, impressed As I was already ready to go. Oh, that's fine because it would be wrong, but it's not. So you know what? Shout out to you.
0: Uh, uh,
3: obrigado, I should say.
0: I uh, do know more important well, do know well, well, done, well, to well uh, thanks to my time following Brazil. I'm your host, Austin Miller, for this week's show. I won't be giving much analysis, but I will be trying to direct the conversation. And, and we'll start with, with Thomas and Russia. The Confederations Cup, the, the first major tournament that Russia has hosted, as I said, kind of serves as a dress rehearsal for next year's world cup just four venues will be used in this competition uh, so thomas if you would take us through a bit of the preparations for russia uh is it ready you know will there be any sort of last minute scrambling like we saw in brazil both in 2013 and 2014 and also talk to us a bit about the mood in russia uh, has this competition kind of captivated the people or is it kind of flying under the radar a bit well, in terms of preparations,
1: you can expect plenty of chaos because this is Russia. So this always happens. I mean, just looking at the stadiums, for example, I mean, I don't know if you saw the reports in the papers recently about the the St. Petersburg Stadium, which, of course, will host the Confederation Cup final, had lots of controversy there. I mean, there was lots of controversy surrounding the building initially for the last few years. And then in the last few months, a Norwegian football magazine Hossimar found out, that they were used, supposedly using uh, North Korean slave workers on the site. So that's not really great preparation. And they Zenit, the, the home team for St. Petersburg, of course, they moved to the stadium in April, played two games there, and then had to go back to the old one because the pitch wasn't ready. Now the turf has been relayed. And so we will see how that goes with the first game on the 17th against New Zealand. Um, in terms of other preparations... I'm looking at TV rights. So today, I don't know when this podcast goes out, Austin, but it's the 11th, which is six days before the start of the tournament. And a Russian match TV station, which is sort of Russian Sky Sports or, I don't know, ESPN essentially, um, has just secured the, right, the TV rights for the Confederations Cup six days in advance. So that's not exactly the best preparation. Um, in terms of enthusiasm, I don't know. It's quite funny because I arrived in St. Petersburg a few days ago And it was all plastered everywhere. And even at passport control, there was a special queue for people coming to the Confederations Cup. They could skip the line of queues for people trying to sort out visas. I just waltzed straight in. But then I don't know. After that, there's not much enthusiasm. I mean, I'm sure we'll get onto it later, but it's important to remember that at the moment, Russia's been having a bad time in the last couple of years in terms of the national team. There's a whole uh, last year's Euros, which were pretty terrible. So the country's really fallen out of love with the national team, if you like, which has a, a big effect.
0: Certainly interesting uh, to look at it that way. You know, I, Is it the type of thing that you think success or lack of success for the Russian national team could go a long way into determining how this tournament is viewed after the fact?
1: It's difficult to say, really, because confederations is always slightly different anyway, because does anybody care that much? Because you don't have the foreign fans really coming over for confeds like you will for the World Cup. The World Cup will be a different story in terms of enthusiasm. I think the local population will be quite keen to sort of show their side, if you like, after they get a lot of bad press abroad and whether some of it's deserved or not. That's up for debate, obviously. But I think CONFED's slightly different, so I'm not sure that everyone's really that up for it here at the moment.
0: Thiago, I'll come to you next. In looking at this Portugal side, they enter this tournament off of last year's victory at the 2016 Euro It looks, from my appearance at least, that this is a first-choice side for Fernando Santos and the Portuguese. How do you think Portugal are approaching this tournament, and what do you make of the squad that they've selected?
3: Well, talking about the squad first, it's a pretty usual side for us. I mean, there's a couple of changes in our uh, second, third goalkeeper, Anthony Lopes, isn't in due to personal issues, which doesn't really impact the squad because he's not a starter. Renato Sanchez was dropped after a season of very very little playtime in Germany. So he was dropped and he joins the under-21s for the Euros. And finally, João Mario from Inter, who would be a clear starter, isn't on due to an injury. So Renato Sanchez and João Mario will be massively missed. They would both be options. That I would have taken Renato Sanchez either way, just because he offers something very different. His characteristics are very different to any of the, our other midfielders, and he would he would be useful even though he didn't get much playtime. But fair enough. And other than that, yeah, it's our it's our pretty usual squad, very similar to the squad that we won the Euros with. It's going to be interesting to see how Fernandes lines it up. If you guys watch the Euros, you guys know that we started out with a certain team in the in the group stage, and then we made a couple of crucial changes to the eleven that then got us through all the way to the final, which was bringing in William and Adrian. Uh, and dropping guys like Ander Gomes and Danilo. So, I don't know I don't know if the, if Renan Santos is going to approach it with the team that like won the Euros or the team that started the Euros. And that's that's what I'm afraid of. Uh, we we also have another thing that changes from the Euros uh, is the inclusion of Bernardo Silva, who is uh, obviously to me uh, the second best Portuguese player after Cristiano and uh, he hasn't been starting because apparently the Fernand isn't his biggest fan or doesn't find them appropriate to the 11 which is something I'm very disappointed with um uh, but we'll see if he gets if he gets minutes if he if he starts or anything because he obviously had a great season with Monaco here we're not too like I don't think I don't think many people really care but if we win it people will care
1: yeah Thiago, I was just gonna have a quick question obviously following Russian football as you do we we talk quite a lot about Luis Neto and? Um, Generally, Russian yeah. football fans are quite critical. We've, we see him too much as a liability. I'm just wondering what the Portuguese attitude to him is.
3: It's pretty non existent, to be honest, just because not many people follow Russian football from here. So, and like our centre back options are very poor, or they're not poor, but they're just old and we're not really grabbing any other youngsters to come in for them. So, I'm expecting, well, Fuente and Pep are going to be the starters. But if Pep isn't ready physically because he had an injury, and so much so that he wasn't even in the squad for the Champions League final, Font will likely be partnered by Neto. P- uh, people here don't really have a, a certain op- opinion on Neto, just because he doesn't play often for the national team. He's, he's just kind of there filling in. He never really, He never really made any crucial mistake for the national team or anything. So, I mean, people are okay with him. But no one's really too impressed with him either because they don't watch them in a weekly basis or anything. So no one has a too formed of an opinion for him.
1: It'd be it'd be interesting to see if he does play because, like I said, over here he's had quite a lot of attention on him in the, quite a couple of years ago. Now I wrote an article about him and sort of the, the perception of him really, and the, the debate still rolls on that he. Well, what do you played.
3: think? What do you think of him?
1: I don't think he's good enough for Zenit and therefore probably not good enough for Portugal not that I know anything about Portuguese yeah. football compared to you obviously. Yeah the thing
3: uh, is that we don't we don't really have many options like we're really dry out of <laughs> center back options and we're trying to scramble for options because but and if Pep doesn't if Pep isn't ready physically it's going to be either Fonte with Bruno Alves who's 35 or 36 or something and like, if Font plays with Renov, that's like almost a 70 year old center back partnership. They're, they're solid, but I mean, I don't know. Pep, the same thing. And then we have Neto, Net, our, our youngest center back in the squad. And he's not great, but he's, he's what we got. Yay. Yeah. I
1: mean, your youngest at 28, that's quite incredible, really.
3: <laughs> yeah. The rest of our squad is actually quite, like, quite young, barring what Cristiano and stuff. But the rest of the squad is actually quite, quite solid. And, like, they have a future, but. We're really struggling to find centre-back options. Our other, our other best options are probably Ruben Semedo, who just moved from Sporting to Villarreal in Spain, but he wasn't necessarily like a like a solid starter for Sporting. He was in and out of the squad, and he never really got a cap for the main national team. There's another two Sporting centre-backs who are Portuguese, but they haven't solidified their spot in the Sporting eleven, so they can't really bring anything to the national team until they do so. And there's really nobody else for now. So we're, we're struggling.
0: It'll definitely be interesting to see how, how Portugal and Fernando Santos do approach that question. Raul, I'll come to you next on the Mexican side. Uh, back in the Confederations Cup for the seventh time, uh, they're actually the only nation at this Confederations Cup that have ever have won this trophy before. They won it in 1999. Uh, as you said, the start of a busy summer for Mexico, World Cup qualifiers going on now, then they'll play this, and then the CONCACOF Championship, the Gold Cup what is the temperature of the Mexican national team as they come into this tournament and what do you make of the squad selection from Juan Carlos Osorio?
2: Um, The squad selection has been, as we've talked about before, his, you know, rotations, but that's kind of had the effect of where every player thinks, hey, I can play next game. I need to be ready as opposed to certain national team coaches. I'm sure you guys know they pick their guys, whether their guys are getting playing time in their clubs or not. Hey, this is my guy. He's been my guy for 10 years. I'm going to play him even though he's had no club minutes in three months, you know? So Mexico, in terms of that, they have players who are know that they can play, whether they're the first man up or the twenty third man, they're going to play. But no one's really had any qualms about his uh, his player selection. Everyone feels this is the quote unquote A team. Like this is the guys we're going to send. You know, if if the World Cup started this summer, this would be the squad. You know, we're not saving anyone for the Gold Cup. So this is the squad. Um, there has been one issue in terms of uh, Jesus Tecatito Corona. He plays for Porto right now. He had to drop out yesterday, and all that was said was for personal reasons. So no one really knows why he dropped. He would have been a starter on the wing, but no one really knows sure exactly why he was dropped. I, although the only thing is Osorio said it was for personal reasons, and we wish him and his family the best. So no one really knows too much what's going on with that situation. But other than him, this is their A squad, and um, Mexico is flying pretty high. I mean, pretty confident. He's, he's uh, Osorio's put some confidence in his team. They think they can win. Um, they ended the the fable Dos Acero in Columbus against the USA, and they play them today at the Azteca. Um, they're actually going to be missing several players tonight, but all those players should be ready to go. And in terms of you guys were talking about old center backs, Mexico has the oldest player in this tournament at uh, Rafa Marquez. He oh is, yeah, but you have a bunch
3: of young center backs too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Reyes and Salcedo <laughs> and whatever. And like, we, can you loan me some? Because we're struggling, <laughs> man. Like. Sure, I mean... sure half of Arcas is there but I mean come on no, but <laughs> what, what's your, do you, what are what's your predicted 11 I'm curious
2: predicted 11 uh,
3: it's gonna like I said
2: it's hard with the Soria, but he he's very pragmatic but lately he's been kind of using a fourth a hybrid four three three or three four three so he's he likes the three in the back and he's he has started uh, moreno Reyes and he's kind of struggled to find a guy on the right side of the three back formation but it's usually been going to Carlos Torcido, who's currently at Fiorentina even though they're not going to pick up his loan but so that's the three in the back the goalie is it's, it's 50-50 it's either Guillermo Ochoa who plays in Spain right now or Alfredo Talavera Next, he plays at the Luca. he flip-flops between them depending on if a team likes to go in the air a lot he likes to pick Talavera if anything else he likes to go with Guillermo Ochoa I don't know I mean in the last tournament uh, Copa America he started all three goalies so let's hope that's not the case this year um, the four in the middle, he, he likes to go with Guardado, Hector Herrera, Jonathan Dos Santos. And then the next spot kind of varies. Like he might drop in Rafa Marquez, who kind of plays at almost like a, another center back who drops back in case we don't have the ball or moves up. Um, like I said, he's 38 years old. He's not getting any younger, but he is. he's a great passer. He, he's a good guy to get the ball and center backs get him the ball and he sprays it around. Up top, we got Chicharito. Carlos Vela and we, I just talked about Jesus Corona. He's not. He's not going to go now. So it might be uh, Irving Lozano.
3: He Lozano's better away. than Corona anyway. You think so? Really do. Like, I, I really I mean, do. Like if if Benfica goes in for for Lozano, forget about Corona in the national team. I really like Lozano. Uh, it's funny because a lot of people are like, "Oh, you got." I think you can't start both
2: of them. I think you need to start one of them. I mean, if you had both yeah. of them, I think one of them off the bench. I mean. Either one of those players coming at you, you're, you're on defense. Sixtieth minute, he comes in with fresh legs. That's got to be terrifying.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah, but then where are your fullbacks? Where are you playing? No fullbacks. You're playing a super narrow thing because you tell me no fullbacks. Uh,
2: that's the one position in Mexico is struggling with. Isn't like, isn't Layun
3: isn't Layun a starter?
2: Layun he uh, he hasn't played since he since the they had like a couple friends. He had a, he had played in the first friendly. He hasn't played in the other ones. He has he's carrying an injury. I don't know how bad it is, but like I said, we're missing like three or four players for tonight's game against the USA, but Osorio said all four of them will be healthy and ready to go. So Layun is hurt. Salacito was hurt, but I guess he's available now. Andres Guardado, who's kind of been the engine of the team, he's not available as well. And then now Corona's gone. So we're missing a couple players tonight, but everyone minus Corona should be back, but corona losano I think they're similar players I think losano is a better finisher than Corona I, I, I don't I know it's, I like it's different I'm
3: just, I' yeah. don't know I just
2: feel like corona is a little bit
3: inconsistent when it comes to oh, yeah yeah when yeah. it comes to, to club consistent
2: football. yeah yeah and he's he's I think he, he got a little more consistent the second half of this season with Porto but that team as a whole kind of struggled I mean they're on their what, yeah. third coach in three
3: years now yeah Porto was a little bit like Porto's offense was weird like they didn't they played this weird shaped thing that didn't really like they they played very bad offensive football from January onwards. They played like West Brom. So it seemed like no. it seemed like
2: hey, let's get the great. ball to the wings and let's try to whip it inside. I'm like yeah yeah. They
3: played this suit. They played as soon as as soon as they got Suarez in January, they like they kind of solved their finishing issue. Their finishing issue, but they stopped creating as many chances as then they just focused on hoofing the ball up for the two forwards and then spreading it out wide and whipping it in. And it was super predictable and it wasn't beneficial for the wingers, wasn't beneficial for their silver, for Corona. It was weird. Yeah, it's yeah. just and hopefully in, next year will be better for him.
2: Yeah, and in terms of uh, Portuguese-based players, um, Osorio, I mean, Raul Jimenez is a center forward, but he has used them as a target winger. So he might... Like, like Manzurkic? Yeah. Yeah, he puts him, yeah, he puts him on the right wing and, and you know, like, for, for instance, Corona's out. So we need someone on the right wing. He has put Jimenez on the right wing and used him as a target winger before, actually against the United States. So it's he loves he loves Jimenez. I love Jimenez too, not just because his name's Raul, but he I, I really like Jimenez. So he, he's because he he could see some playing time, but uh, the, re, the most recent game he had Jimenez start as center forward and gave Chicharito the night off. But I could easily see him putting Jimenez as a right winger target target winger type of player.
0: Raul, we've talked a lot about, you know, the rotation and Osorio. You mentioned it. He played all three goalkeepers in the group stage of the Copa Medica. Uh, it's something that he's famous for. Uh, I'm sure he's relishing the opportunity to have so many matches this summer to get so many players in. You look at the group stage for Mexico. They open up against mm-hmm. Portugal. Then they play New Zealand. Uh, and then they'll close with Russia. Only two days between matches. Do you think it's a safe bet that we'll see most of this squad get rotated into the eleven at some point during the three group stage, man? Uh, yes,
2: especially against New Zealand. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and talk bad about New Zealand, but that's the weakest. That's the weakest opponent in, the, in that group. Would you guys agree? They're, out of those four, you, most of us would rank
3: them four. Not necessarily. No. Russia. Russia <laughs> has a ton of injuries in their squad. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Russia just bombs it all and stays fourth. I always give
2: the benefit of the doubt to the host team, whether it's,
3: whether it's
2: suspicious calls or something. Those, the, like the host, pretty much always seems to find a way to get through to the knockout rounds.
1: <laughs> but but this is Russia, not not Brazil from a few years ago. You know, this is, there's a lot <laughs> yeah, of I mean, problems. S-
2: I mean, South Africa got to the knockout rounds. I don't know how that happened, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, Mexico
3: I, was in that group with South Africa.
2: Oh, I remember that Mexico got got a couple bad calls in that first game. It was rough, and then of course was one one
3: was one one, and Kafar Markish scored. Yeah, yeah, that's what you were gonna say, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but I think Mexico should get out of this group. I don't see why not. And in terms of, I mean, I mean, I'm dropping the gun here, but in terms of expectations, Mexico needs the lowest expectation for Mexico is at least getting that third place game.
0: Thomas, we'll come to you for the the Russian perspective. Uh, You've kind of tipped your hand here a little bit. It doesn't seem as though you're very optimistic about the prospects of the host nation. (laughs) No, but
1: this is is Russian football. You have to be a constant pessimist. Uh,
0: It's an entirely domestic squad. All 23 players play in Russia. Um, That's probably going to mean that a lot of people are not terribly familiar with many of the names in this squad. Uh, break us down the squad that have been selected by the Russian manager. Uh, what you make of it? If, you know, if there were any any choices that you would have made a bit differently, you know, kind of walk us through the selections that have been made here.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, one of the one of the guys mentioned earlier, I can't I can't remember who it was. Sorry, sorry, guys. But um you mentioned they've got quite a lot of injuries, and particularly, That's me. Least, yeah. Thank, thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: sorry.
1: I mean, yeah, so Zuba's missing. He's the main striker, really. So. I mean, let's go back to front then. So starting at the forward line, which is a bit ridiculous, you're looking at, I don't know, Polos, Smolov, Bukharov, Kanunikov. I think there's a total of seven goals in that forward line, in those front four, which is uh, n- not great, obviously. Smolov is the one to watch for. Smolov is a very good striker, and he's been tipped for a European move this summer. Linked with the likes of Dortmund, plays at Krasnodar at the moment, scored a very good goal against Hungary the other night. If, if you want to go and look that up on YouTube, that's Fantastic. But the forward line's a bit dodgy. And like I said, Zuba missing, not great. And then in midfield, you've got injuries again. Zobnin's had to pull out in the last few days. Had, he had a very good season at title winner Spartak Moscow. And then Zagoyev, who of course everyone remembers from that's those stunning Euro campaigns a few years back, the CSKA midfielder. Defensively, was int- you were talking about three at the back earlier. Russia play will play the same way. That's as much as I can say. Because in terms of the predicting my lineup. I really cannot predict because Cherchesov, the, the manager, has rotated so much, but I wouldn't say he's rotated so much out of choice. He's had a lot of injuries, but also he has just been trying to find players and put them in all sorts of positions just to try any sort of system. It's not really worked well. There have been calls for the manager to go prior to this tournament, which I thought were a bit premature, to be honest. But again, I mean, my, my I think the back four, this is the, the same, well, the three centre halves and the goalkeeper will be Akinfev, uh, Shishkin, Vasin, and Kudryashov. That will be the four at the back. But beyond that, apart from Smolov up front, it's quite hard to call, really.
0: Thomas, as you said, this kind of uncertainty with Russia, you know, if there are two weak teams, if you will, in the group, it seems like it's Russia and New Zealand. They will play the opening match. Three points are pretty much a necessity for Russia if they're going to have any sort of success in this tournament in that first match against New Zealand, correct?
1: Absolutely. They have to win that first game against New Zealand because, I mean, I can't see them getting anything against Portugal or Mexico, really. They're, they're not good enough, is the, the long and short of it. The host thing may come into practice, but in, at the end of the day, it's all about quality, really. And I, they, the quality is nowhere near as good as those other two sides.
0: At this point, uh, we're going to take a look at the fourth team in this group, New Zealand. Uh, World time zones do make recording podcasts at one time a bit difficult. So we're going to go to Adam Brandon, who is with Daniel Hemingway, who is going to break down this New Zealand squad. Uh, We'll get their expectations for this tournament right now. So we're going to go to that insert right here.
4: Hello, Daniel. You join us here today due to time zone constrictions. You can join us for a full pod, but you're going to give us a breakdown of New Zealand um, and their chances in the Confederations Cup this year. Uh, First off maybe you can give us a bit of an introduction about yourself
5: and I understand you are heading over to Russia next week. Yeah well thanks for having me. Massive fan of your show so it's a real honour to be involved. Um, I'm English uh, but I moved to Sydney four years ago. I'm a television producer for Fox Sports that specialises in football so um, I spend most of my days researching, watching everything about Australian and New Zealand football.
4: OK, excellent. So since Australia switched to the Asian Confederation in 2006, New Zealand have been left with without hardly any competitive football really in, in their confederation, the OFC. Having said that, they infamously missed out on the Confederation Cup uh, in Brazil four years ago due to losing in the semis. Uh, the OFC cut to so- the Solomon Islands, I believe, and then they went on to lose to Tahiti in the final. So we had Tahiti four years ago. I don't know if New Zealand are going to provide a sterner test than Tahiti did. What what are your expectations?
5: Well, that kind of changed everything for New Zealand football because after losing that, they needed to really get a grip and they were a bit embarrassed. And I think the whole world was laughing really that New Zealand didn't qualify for that tournament. So since then, they've had a the new manager come in and uh, he's been fantastic for them. Anthony Hudson, who's been linked to a number of jobs back in England, another Englishman. And it's all been about uh, strength and depth, So developing lots of young players. And then as soon as they're at that stage, they're trying to get them into the Australian League, the A-League, or move them overseas. So I think they'd, there'll be a sterner test, obviously, but um, I'd be surprised if they did get out of the group. But it's tournament football, so strange things do happen.
4: How can we expect New Zealand to set up? Do you think? I understand their manager Anthony Hudson is quite highly rated, actually, within the game, and um, like you mentioned, he's improved them over the last four years, and he actually got linked with a couple of championship clubs, including the club we support, Norwich. Um, so I imagine they, but I imagine first and foremost they will probably look to keep things tight, no, especially in what looks quite
5: a tough group for. Them. I'm not so sure they will. He He's famous for attacking football over here. He loves the high press, which most teams do at the moment. But he's come out and said a couple of times, the last thing he'll do is put 10 men behind the ball and try and nick it 1-0 like New Zealand did in the World Cup when they didn't lose a game in South Africa. So I think he's going to come out with them. He's got very good attacking players. The defence, they are a bit iffy. But going forwards, as we saw from Chris Woods in the championship, he's a goal machine and massive opportunity for him to sort of impress the higher-end Premier League clubs if he can score against the, some of the world's best teams. So I think they're going to go out and they're going to have a go. And he's the sort of guy that would rather lose 3-0 than sit back, be really boring, and everyone just be like, oh, what a waste of time watching this game. So I think we'll be surprised.
4: Yeah, and um, are there any players that we should look out for in the New Zealand squad? Looking at their squad defence on paper, to me at least, looks like it will probably struggle against some of the world-class talent they come up against, like Cristiano Ronaldo, for example. Um, you know, Tommy Smith of Ipswich Town, he struggles against sharp attackers in the Championship, so I don't hold out too much hope for him. At the other end of the pitch, i have got another Championship player, Chris Wood, who has just had the season of his life for Leeds United, so he's going to be full of confidence ahead of this competition, I imagine.
5: Yeah, he's he's high on confidence, obviously, with 30 goals in all competitions, I think he got in the end. And he's already been linked £15 million pounds to Everton. So if he does score goals here or just impresses them, you know maybe the value is going to go up, which would be good for Leeds. They've already come out and said he's leaving, so they've accepted, I think. But it's the support midfielders. They have two very good wingers in Marco Rojas, who's nicknamed the Kiwi Messi for obvious reasons. He's about three foot tall and just beats men for fun. He was in the A-League a couple of years ago and was he won Player of the Year and then was went overseas a bit too young, bit of bad agent work that seems to happen here. If a player has a good season, they get sold to a rubbish league in Europe and never play. So he came back at the beginning of this season and he's just been fantastic again. He's a standout player for Melbourne Victory. He assists goals. So there's just He's high in confidence. He can just beat men and then... The other player is Costa Barbarusus, which is at Wellington Phoenix. They're the New Zealand-based A-League team. He's another fantastic player. Again, another winger. Sometimes comes in at number ten. Not very tall, high in confidence. Just runs at players. And if if those two perform with Chris Wood up front ahead of them, I think they'll surprise a few players. But as you mentioned, defensively, we all know Smith is an absolute donkey at best. Andrew Durante. He's right at the end of his career. He's had a terrible domestic season. Thomas Doyle's another one. He's not really that good. There's another young kid called Storm Roo that's based in Australia. Again, he's had a better season. He's only young. He's been playing under Paul O'Connor. I don't know if you remember him. He was a very influential player over in Europe from Australia. Played for Leeds, and Middlesbrough, and a few other clubs in Belgium and Italy. So he's not brilliant. But, you know, if the manager can get anything out of them, we'll see defensively they are in real trouble
4: yeah especially as they're missing winston reed i believe
5: yeah massive shame for them obviously captain and by far their best player he's been out for west ham for a few months and he's now got to have a bit of knee surgery and the manager has come out and said how gutted he is obviously but as long as he's back for the world cup qualifiers they are putting them in as more important games to get to the world cup you know, is probably more important than having a good Confederations Cup. So he's sitting out and they're just hoping that he comes back and doesn't really lose any of his ability or anything with this knee uh, problem he's had. Yeah,
4: I, I think this is going to be quite an interesting uh, competition for a lot of South Americans to watch. Because whoever finishes fifth in South America in the Commonwealth qualification will end up probably facing New Zealand in that playoff for the... World Cup. I, th- I think there's going to be plenty of interest in New Zealand this side. Do you think they can get out of the group?
5: Probably not. I, don't, I, I think the other teams have just too much for them but I think again we keep talking about it but defensively they'll just be let down. The goalkeepers aren't of the best quality either. They're in lesser leagues in Europe. I think their number ones playing in the fourth division in Germany at the moment so um, that's not ideal. It's not the greatest standard. So, yeah, I'd be very, very surprised if they get out of the group. But I think they'll surprise people going forwards. But every attack I I see, it's going to look like the opposition is going to score.
4: OK, well, it's going to be fascinating to see how they get on in this competition. And like you say, if, if they do come and play sort of not a defensive game, I think that will probably surprise many people. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what they offer now having spoken to you so thank you for coming on daniel and i'm sure we're going to speak again soon for the group b pod when you'll be breaking down the strengths and weaknesses of australia for us so cheers mate hope you enjoyed your time with
5: wfi today absolutely my pleasure and i'll speak to you soon
0: all right thanks much for that adam and daniel will certainly be interesting to see how new zealand does Thiago, I will will come to you back uh, on the back of the question of expectations. For Portugal, you know, it seems like Portugal and Mexico are probably the two teams who we would tip to get out of this group. Portugal coming off a victory at the Euro last year. What would you say are the expectations for Fernando Santos' side in Portugal? Is it uh, make the title game? Is it win the title? Is it anything short of that would be, you know, unsuccessful? What do you think are the expectations for Portugal here?
3: We now, now we want to win things, apparently. Apparently now winning is the only single focus. And if we don't win it, that's disappointing. And apparently they're taking that mentality all the way to the World Cup. So that there's that. I think the final will be Portugal-Chile or Portugal-Germany or something. And I think we'll probably drop there. But still, the objective is definitely to win it. But I think it's going to be interesting. There's a lot riding in that first match against Mexico. Like you, you said about the New Zealand facing Russia and Russia having to win that first match if they want something out of the tournament, I think that if we there's chances that we start with a poor result against Mexico and then that can influence our entire campaign. But we'll see.
0: Chago, last year at the Euro, Portugal didn't exactly light the world on fire in terms of style of play. You know, there were there were there were definitely some critics of that. Do you think that Portugal will approach this tournament with that same sort of style that they used at the Euro? Or do they maybe view this as an opportunity to open it up a little bit more? Because as we've kind of touched on a bit, the Confederations Cup is is a weird
3: tournament in that it means something, but it also really doesn't. If you want to go over the 11s, since the guys already did uh, go over their 11s, let's let's go over the 11 and, and speak by tactically. So... A thing we didn't have at Euros last year was Andrea Silva. Andrea Silva is the young Porto striker who came up to the first team this season, has been straight up integrated into the national team because we really have been struggling to find a proper striker for the past whatever many years. He's been Cristiano's partner up top. They have scored a ton of qualifying goals already together and we're going to play a 4-4-2 with those two up top and that's a sure thing. So that's playing with Andrea Silva who's... More with a pure striker is differently than playing a 4-4-2 with like Nani partnering Christian, for example, like we did last year at the Euros. Uh, so there's that. And then there's a lot of questions about our midfield because I'm pretty sure we're going to play William Carvalho as a defensive midfielder. And then ahead of him, I'd prefer to see Adrian Silva playing like we did at at the Euros. But Fernando Sanz has is a, is a, is been playing Moutinho there as of late. I'd prefer to see Adrian Silva, as I just said. And then we're gonna have two wingers. We still don't know if they're gonna be proper wingers or if they're gonna be like attacking mids that can drift in a little bit more. In my opinion, Bernard Silva should obviously start from the right, and on the left maybe a pure winger like Quaresma, or maybe someone like someone like Pizzi could be ideal to drift in. But uh, Fernando Santos has been starting Andre Gomes, which is god awful. In my humble opinion. So I'm expecting perhaps a Negom from the left, unfortunately, even though we won the Euros only when we took him out of the squad. We're making the same mistake all over again. And then from the right, it's going to be between Gelsen, who's a pure winger from Sporting, Quaresma, who you guys know, and Bernardo Silva. And then in the back, the red line is probably the most defined thing so far, which is Font and Pepe, or Font and Bruno Alves, depending on Pepe's physical uh, condition. Rupert uh, Rizio in goal, Rafael Gachayev from the left, and Cedric Soares from the right, most likely. It's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, on one end, I think we could play a little bit more of an open style, especially because of our opponents as well. Uh, we're not going to be facing teams as uh, strong, I'd say. I mean, Mexico... Kind of, but I I don't know how much close down will single play, and then we we're, we're just gonna be we're gonna be playing a little bit more of an open style against New Zealand and uh, in Russia I'd say, and then from then on we'll see. But I think that if we come up against the likes of Germany, even even if this Germany isn't their strongest their strongest side, uh, we will end up playing like we did against France last year.
0: It will certainly be interesting to see. Raul, for you, we talked a bit about expectations earlier. It seems like it's very rare that Mexico gets opportunities to play high-level competition. And the last time we saw them at the Copa Medica, it did not end well, you know, with the 7-0 loss to Chile. So it certainly feels like, from at least where I sit, that Mexico, are they view this tournament as fairly important because it is a chance to kind of stack themselves up on the global stage. What do you make of the expectations for Osorio's side? Um, I I think they can me
2: expectations. I mean, can they win it? I can easily see them winning. I mean, some teams, to be honest, are not taking this thing totally seriously. I mean, isn't Germany basically sending a, U, a glorified U23 squad?
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's certainly a, a second-choice side at best for Germany. Mexicans,
2: like, they, they take every— It could be like New Zealand invitation with them and a bunch of Oceanic oceanic Confederation teams in Mexico. is like, oh, we're going to win by 15 every game or something. It's just— Sometimes the expectations are too much, but I think Mexico can meet the expectations. Whether it's get to the championship game, get to the third place game, I would view that as a, as a success. If they, the only way I would view this as a, as a bad tournament for Mexico is if they don't make it out of the group stage. If they don't make it out of the group stage, you're already going to hear people, "Oh, we got to fire Osorio." I mean, it's just it's just that's just how he's in Mexico. You have one bad, you have a couple bad games in a row. It's time to fire. It's time to fire a coach. I mean, Osorio's only lost two games since he became the Mexico coach. So that. Infamous 7-0 beat them, and then well a friendly against Croatia uh, last week, two weeks ago. So Mexico, they're coming in hot. I think they should do well in this tournament. But like you guys were saying, the Confucius tournament's a little bit weird, so you kind of don't know what, what to expect.
0: I certainly view Mexico among the favorites, and, and I think it would almost be fair to say they might be the team outside of perhaps Chile, that will take this tournament the most seriously. They're they're the ones who would most want to lift this trophy and to have that sort of success. Thomas, for you, with Russia, it seems like getting out of the group, you know, that is what is generally defined as success. It also seems like that might be a bit too tall of a mountain for Russia. So would it be fair to say that picking up three points against New Zealand could consider this tournament a success for the Russian side?
1: I, I guess so. I mean I mean
0: getting out of the group stage is
1: is a failure really isn't it because it's failure to qualify and there's no sugarcoating that. But I mean like you said the the group is really strong and as I said earlier the other two sides as you mentioned with Mexico especially that's a really interesting point that you make about them really being motivated to win this of course Russia will have their own motivations being the host but again quality is is just not there.
0: I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see you know, how they do approach this tournament as, as far as that is concerned with, you know, just the, the mindset of this Russian team, where it's at as they come into this, I think will be very, very interesting. They, they
1: are unbeaten in their last three. It's worth mentioning that and they had a good three victory against Hungary the other night. But then I also saw that Hungary lost to Andorra 1-0 a couple of days later. So I'm not sure about the state of Hungarian football at the moment. And then they drew one all against Chile. Good result, obviously, but again, it's it's a friendly, and I'm not sure how seriously Chile were taking it. To be honest, it's, it's one of those. And the thing I was actually going to ask um, Raul there, you mentioned that Mexico are playing at the Azteca tonight. Um, like I mentioned, Chile are already out here. They played against Russia. Does that concern you at all that they're not out here already, Mexico? Um,
2: I believe the plan is for them to head out there tomorrow. So if they head out there tomorrow, tomorrow is, what, 12th? Am I getting my days confused? Yeah, the no, was it's the, the 12th
1: the 12th yeah
2: so they'll have a little less than a week to get out there. I mean, I know it's a long flight, but these friendlies bother so many Mexican fans just to show you how convoluted it was. So they played a friendly on Saturday at, in LA. They flew to Colorado for a couple of days of training and then they flew from Colorado to New Jersey for the game. Well, they had trouble had trouble landing in New Jersey so they landed I think somewhere in Pennsylvania. Got they took a bus to get to their hotel at like two in the morning the night of the game, and then they had a game and then they flew to Mexico City like the next day. So I think either this team is going to be dead tired or just used to all these long flights. But they've been training and then even before the the friendly in L in L A they played a they had a training session a week or four or five days at the Azteca in New Mexico in Mexico City. So they. They should be used to this altitude. Uh, maybe that gives them upper hand. I don't know. But uh, ideally, you would have you would have wanted them already in Russia. But what are you gonna do? I mean, they had to play these World Cup qualifiers.
0: So, and, and they even moved the date up of the match yes. with the United States. Yes. Uh, we also uh-huh. saw, I believe it was, oh yeah, Australia had a, a World Cup qualifier moved up as well, so that they could play that before going to the Confederations Cup. But as as you said, Roel, Mexico at this point they're almost used to a busy a busy fixture list. It seems like every international window they're doing something like this, where they're jet setting around the United States and Mexico and North America. So if there is a team that can handle that sort of of travel, it probably is Osorio's side.
2: Yeah, and that's it's right out the alley. But like you said, I, ideally we would have wanted them in Russia by this weekend. But I mean, I guess they get the extra day since they they don't play the same day as Russia. They play the next the following day. But to your point, like you said point earlier, they do have a game on the 18th, the 21st and then the 24th. So they're going to have three games in six days. So
0: it'll certainly come fast and furious. I'd like to take a look now at at some players that you guys have pointed out on the particular squads, you know, maybe to keep an eye on. Uh, certainly some maybe some players that have maybe flown under the radar for, for a casual fan. Thomas, for you, you talked about, about Smolov earlier, uh, linked with a move to, to a bigger European side. Is there anybody else on this Russian side that you would encourage the listeners to kind of keep an eye out as far as maybe a young up-and-coming talent or or a player who maybe doesn't get his due as far as attention is concerned?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, really. There's a couple of young midfielders that I'd point out. I mean, Alexander uh, Galavin, he's quite famous across Europe, been linked with the move to Arsenal recently. I'm not sure if that's going to go through because it's Russian transfers and I was talking to the, we we're talking before the podcast that Kukorin was linked with Arsenal for three years and it never happened. So I'm not sure that will go through either. Um, Alexey Miranchuk is a very good young player from Lokomotiv. Very nice midfielder, very cultured, very, very good player. But I'd also point out somebody like Dmitry Poloz at Rostov. Did very well last season for them when they nearly won the title. Very energetic striker, used to a very high pressing game at Rostov. Presses really well. He's, he's a but he hasn't scored from the national team yet. So he's only got eight caps. He's 25, but he's a nice little striker that's worth keeping an eye on, I'd say.
3: What do you think of Victor Vazin? Because I've been... I have been i didn't know him prior to this season, and I've been hearing some good things about him since he moved to his CSKA. What, what are your thoughts on him?
1: He's... I mean, he's really mixed, to be honest. A lot of people think he's pretty good, but uh, I, the thing I would say is, again, he's only got four caps, and he's 28, is that he's not really established as such a national team yeah, no, no is it worth idea. going
3: for do you see what I'm saying yeah, yeah. I was just asking because I knew he did well for was it Ufa Was yes. it, I don't know how to say it. yeah and then I've been hearing some good things about it. I, I was just curious to be honest
1: the ex-Ufa coach is now at um, CSKA of course so that, that would be a big part of it I would say the problem with the Russian centre-backs is that they had the Berezutsky brothers and Ignashevich for a long time they're in their late 30s now, and they're not in the squad now so it was really trying to push them out the door and trying to find someone new in there. And Victor Vassin is really probably a bit of a last resort call on that, to be honest, because that, just because there's no other options.
0: And, and Thiago, for you with this Portugal side, Cristiano Ronaldo will obviously get the headlines as always with Portugal, but they are a bigger team than just Ronaldo. The other players for you to maybe keep an eye on, uh, Bernardo Silva has moved to Manchester City. He's a player that has certainly gotten a lot of attention recently. Anybody else in this Portugal squad that you'd have the listeners have their eye on?
3: Well, uh, most of them are quite well-known by now, but I'd say Bernardo Silva, if he plays, is a really good one to watch. Andres Silva is probably my main one to watch, the one who, the Porto striker, now linked with AC Milan and Zenit. He uh, probably won't leave to Zenit, but maybe for AC Milan. Uh, he's going to partner Cristiano, and he's going to be an, an interesting one to watch. Um, He's probably going to score a couple, to be honest. Uh, Gelson Martins as well, a sporting winger, uh, has been linked to Liverpool as of late. Just kind of a solid, pure winger on the right side. And uh, who else? Who else? We have Nelson Smedo right back. I don't know if he's going to play because Cedric is supposedly ahead of him in the pecking order. But if he does play, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. He's been connected to Barcelona and Manchester United. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, some of the other guys are always interesting to watch. PZ or Adrian, if they do play, the ones who play in Portugal don't get as much attention as the ones who play outside. It's going to be interesting.
0: And Raul, with this Mexican side, I think there is a lot of intriguing talent. Uh, For me, uh, Irving Lozano... Dirt definitely sticks out the most. Uh, he's been playing brilliantly for Pachuca. He really impressed me at the Copa Medica last year. Lozano certainly one that we should have our eyes on. Who else? Uh, a couple of younger players maybe, or, or some under-the-radar players perhaps playing domestically in Mexico uh, that the listeners should have their eyes on.
2: Um, I'm going to flip it around and pick a player who, has been, who was once voted the best forward in La Liga and say Carlos Vela. Many of you guys know he was kind of estranged from the national team. He re- kind of refused any call-up for three and a half years. He even refused to call up to the 2014 World Cup, saying he wasn't in the right mental state to go help Mexico. So there was a lot of beef between him and the Federation, due stemming from a party back in 2010, which he got in trouble for. But there were several players. And eventually, like the head of the the national team, the director, he even quit over it. But Vela held, he held that grudge and he didn't get called up for three and a half years. But he's, I mean, there's been recent interviews where he says, you know, he's, he's happy. He's finally happy to play for the national team. And he is immensely talented. When he's arguably Mexico's most skilled player, the only problem is he has hardly played for the national team. So, but the last couple of games, he's kind of been playing that, that playmaker role, sitting like almost coming back as a number 10, even though he starts off on the wings. And he, him and, well, him and Tecatito had been switching off on the wings. Even if Lozano plays, I can see them very easily just switching on the wings, confusing confusing opposing fullbacks, but Vela can be that linchpin that springs Chicharito. Cause, I mean, I love Chicharito, but you're not going to give Chicharito the ball 30, 30 yards from goal and ask him to create anything, whereas Carlos Vela can easily do that.
0: What do you make of Chicharito's form coming into this tournament? Uh, he got the goal against, I believe, Croatia, and then did he score against Ireland as well in that friendly? He did not even play in that friendly, okay. I don't think. No, okay. even though the crowd
2: was chanting, this crowd of like 45,000 people in New Jersey were chanting for him that he was not going to play it because Osorio knew, I don't need to play this guy because, well. You know what you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know what we have. And he wanted, like, he wanted to stretch other guys out. Mm-hmm. so And he didn't even – actually, did he play? I'm trying to think if he even saw any minutes against Honduras. He might have just seen a couple minutes. Or, you know what? He did not even play against Honduras either because they played Oribe uh, Peralta. so But look for Chicharito to start tonight against the United States. And his form, I mean, I've been watching him over the years. And it's just – his form, I kind of don't even care about his form. I mean, he just needs just – even if he's not scoring goals, he's always making those runs that just create space. Like he can make the run through the box that creates space for one of the wingers who likes to cut in on the on, their, uh, on the other foot, whether it's Vela cutting in or Lozano cutting in. He creates that space. So even if he's not scoring goals, having him on the field means that your two center backs need to know where he is at all times. So as long as he's on the field, teams are going to treat him as he's informed. So.
0: That's how that's how I feel about him. Chicharito, one of my favorite players to watch uh, in international football. All right, guys, time for our final question here on the pod. Uh, We're going to put you on the spot a little bit. We at the World Football Index have a history of making predictions, some good, uh, some not so good. We'll see if we can hopefully uh, up the good part of those predictions. Thomas, I'll start with you. Your prediction for what this Russia team is able to do at the Confederations Cup.
1: Well, you asked to sort of up the spirit a bit, and I don't think that's going to happen with this Russia side, unfortunately. <laughs> they might get, a, they, they should get a point against New Zealand. I'll give them that. They uh, probably should win. I don't want to go against New Zealand too much because I don't know too much about them, to be honest. And Russia, like I said, they've three games unbeaten in the last. Maybe there's a bit of confidence there, but I think I'll, I'll go with a third-place finish.
0: Uh, and Thiago, for you with Portugal, do you, do you view them lifting the trophy at the end of this competition? <laughs>
3: Yeah, at least getting to the final I'd say. Maybe semis. I don't know, depending if we get Chile or Germany in the semis might be difficult. But I'd say we get to the final. We yeah. Is that good enough or do you That's want me to enough. say that we win it? That's good. Then enough we for get me. to the final.
0: There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh and Raul for this Mexico side, what do you think L3 will be able to do at the Confederations Cup?
2: Um I see them making it to the final. And I if they do make it to the final, I really hope it's against Chile. <laughs>
0: chance
3: for, <laughs> a chance Mexicans for a some Revenge. revenge. Then like, I can, I Then we can't wait you to the final, damn it. <laughs> Somebody's going to be I around. see, see no, you're, go you're beating you're Chile you're in
2: fine. a 1-0 super ugly game.
0: <laughs> a bold prediction, for sure. Uh, Adam Brandon will certainly be breaking down the well, just, national team.
1: Sorry, guys, just to, just to cut in there, the final's in St. Petersburg, so don't expect the pitch to be any good condition, because like I said, it's just been relayed, had a lot of bad history, so...
2: You underestimate how on how crappy pitches Mexico has played over the years in the United States. We've played in the Alamo Dome where no one wanted to play, but it was a Mexico versus USA, you know, B team friendly that had sold out. So we had to play and everyone, no one played their best players. They're just, they're just like, hey, don't get hurt out there. So Mexico's used to playing on crappy pitches.
3: I mean, and we here, we're not playing pretty football anyway. So what the hell? <laughs> There you go.
0: It'll certainly be interesting uh, to watch as all of this goes down. Do want to close and give you guys a chance uh, to tell the listeners where they can find you on social media, uh, as well as plug anything uh, that you'd like to. Thomas, I'll start with you. Uh, Where can the listeners follow you on social media? And is there anything at the moment that you'd like to give a plug to?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Twitter would be the best place to find me. That's uh, Thomas underscore Giles, which is G-I-L-E-S Underscore UK, so that's Thomas Underscore Giles Underscore UK. That's on Twitter. Um, in terms of plugging um, Russian football news, we'll have quite a bit of Confederations Cup stuff going up on there at the moment. I think we're we're doing a little podcast as well for it um, in the in the coming days as well. And I think we've got we've got a few guys out here as well covering the games as well. So keep an eye out for that.
0: And Thiago, for you, where can the listeners find you on Twitter? And is there anything that you'd like to plug at the moment?
3: Roger, if you want to see my work, you can just eat up my Twitter at. Tiago ESTV, so uh, I share most of my work there, so you're fine.
0: We're excited to have a Portuguese league podcast coming to World Football Index next, next year. Uh, I know you'll play a big part in that, so that'll certainly be something exciting yep. coming down in the future for sure. Uh, and Raúl, for you, where can listeners find you on Twitter? And uh, is there anything you'd like to plug at the moment?
2: Um, you guys can follow me at the colorful kit on Twitter. Um, just go there. I usually post stuff to anything I write, whether it's podcasts, articles, or whatever. But especially tonight should be a fun time with uh, the the big uh, CONCACAF Classico. So follow me for the for the good times, or just follow me so you can hear me cry if the United States get a
0: result tonight at the S.P.E.C.O. I'm certainly looking forward to that match as well. It's been <laughs> on my calendar for a little while, uh, so that'll be a fun one. I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Uh, you can, of course, follow the World Football Index on Twitter at WorldFootballi. We've got a lot of interesting podcasts coming up. We'll be covering the Confederations Cup as as we go. Uh, We've got our Spotlight Series podcast, previewing some some less names. And of course, we have a Group B podcast coming for the Confederations Cup, and we'll have coverage during the competition as well. So there will be plenty to to fill your football needs throughout this uh, this summer. So that is all for us for this week's show. Uh, We'll have a Group B podcast coming out shortly as well. Uh, It leaves me just to say thanks for listening, and we appreciate it.